0: I hope last week was not uh, too disturbing. In fact, I hope you took advantage of the time as a family and had some of your own family intentional worship time. Now, we didn't ask for the ice and snow to come on Sunday like it did last week. It's only the second time in 12 years that we've ever canceled uh, services. And so it's not one of those that we do regularly or feel comfortable about doing. So we tried to turn it as much as we could into a family time. So hopefully you had some time. And we'd like to hear from you if you did. All right. So on the back of your worship guide, when you came in, there's a at the bottom of the message notes, there's a little section, a little survey. We just want to hear from you. Was it good? Was it intentional? Was it enriching? Uh, Lori and I found when we lived in Africa that we had to take on and understand it was our responsibility to make sure our children got what they needed in the faith. And it wasn't going to happen by osmosis and it wasn't going to happen in a, in a Tonga or a lozy church. It was going to have to happen in our home. So we learned the value of that and tried to capitalize on that as much as possible. So hopefully you had that, 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 that kind of time. But it also has pushed our, our sermon, our message series back uh, a week. And so we're going to try to comp- compress two messages into one this week because we're leading up. We're on, a, we're on a, a time issue leading right up to Easter. This series precedes, leads us right into the Easter season or into the Easter resurrection celebration. And we are looking at the last seven statements, the final seven statements that Christ said. But before we go there, I want you to get in your mind a vision, a picture of somebody that has caused you tremendous pain in your life. Now that may run counter to everything you thought you might be thinking of when you came to church today, when you came to be with us today, that you'd bring up the, 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 into your memory, into your mind, and I'd ask you to dwell on that person throughout the rest of this message. But I want you to think of the person that this world is not big enough for both of you all to live on. That, it, that kind of person that has caused you the level of pain that if they, would, if they were to breathe their last breath, you might not even, well, you wouldn't even care. You, just to be frank and honest. You, 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 in fact, you, you, you would even aid in that process if you thought you could get by with it. You know, I'm not encouraging it. I'm just saying that's your feelings. That's what, That's where you are at. Because this person has caused you pain so i'll take you back to a few weeks ago when i had my bible in my own home i was in my own time with god just sitting in my living room and i came to the book of second corinthians i've been reading through second corinthians on my own for for a few weeks now and i came to this verse and i came to this phrase in second corinthians chapter two verse (coughs) five excuse me chapter two verse five It says this if anyone has caused you pain now, that sounds like a question or that sounds like an incomplete statement, and it is. Has anyone caused you pain? Can you think of that anyone right now? And that's what I'm asking you to do. Think of that anyone who's caused you pain, who's interrupted your flow of life, who's interrupted your security, your innocence even, and has, has hurt you. Think of that person and keep them on your mind because notice he didn't say that Did anything caused you pain, that any new idea caused you pain, that any decision that caused you pain. He said that any one person caused you pain. If you have that person in your mind, the reality is we all have people in our minds that have caused us pain because why? People hurt people. That's really just the reality of life. Now, you would think in the, in the creation of God, in the highest order of His creation, that mankind would not go out and, 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 and intentionally, by all means, maybe accidentally, go out and harm somebody and literally hurt someone. We would call that person the lowest of society. And maybe they're not, it's not a criminal act. But maybe it's just a relational act. Maybe it's a team act. Maybe it happened on the job. Maybe it happened in the home. Maybe it happened with somebody you love. But the reality that people hurt people, and here's another reality to that, because hurt people hurt people, because we're all hurt. We're all walking through this life with wounds and bruises and bumps and bangs and guts on our life, on our hearts, in our souls, in our spirit, that we're carrying through life. And so every one of us has been hurt, and in return, because we have been hurt, we are most likely going to hurt other people. Now, what do you do with that? Now, Paul, he goes right on in the next uh, phrase, and he kind of deals with it a little bit. But one of the things I, I come to the question with, and I say, what does that person deserve? If this is what they did, what do they deserve? And that's probably a legitimate question. And if you have your Bibles and you're following along in, in, in 2 Corinthians, you'll, you'll see all this right there. In verse 6, Paul said basically whatever they have been given, the, whatever uh, uh, bit of punishment they received, whatever it is, that's enough for me. Now here's the reality about pain. And here's the reality about justice. Okay? I want you to think about this. The pain that you've been inflicted, if it's been deep and painful and wide and all that kind of stuff, there is never enough justice to be served. There will never be enough to equal the pain that you've gone through, the hurt that you've gone through. You can never even the score enough. But Paul has a different attitude here, and we're going to see that attitude even develop even further. But he says, whatever has been dealt to this person, enough. There doesn't have to be anymore." more. I'm not looking for revenge. I'm not looking to, to one-up them. So maybe the question isn't this. What do they deserve? Maybe the bigger question is this. What do they need? What is the person who's hurt me the most, who's caused me great pain and sorrow, what do they need? I want you to be asking yourself that question throughout the, this, this, this message because what Paul does in the very next words is he gives us exactly what that person who's caused you pain needs. Cause you're thinking, whoa, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm not worried about them, Jack. I'm worried about me because you don't know what's happened to me. And if you could only sit down with me and hear my story, then you wouldn't be asking what they need. You'd be asking what I need. Very legitimate. I'm tracking with you. That is a very natural response. But I want you to see what Paul did. Verse 7. So you should rather turn and do what? Forgive and comfort him. Or he may be overwhelmed with excessive sorrow. Well, whoop do. I hope he does have sorrow. I hope he does have pain. But Paul's response to the person who inflicts pain on us is not to get revenge, it's not vengeance, it's not even justice at times, but his response is this. What is it that I need to forgive? How do I need to comfort them? And he goes on. So that you should rather turn to forgive and comfort them. And then it says in verse 8, So I beg you to reaffirm your love for them. Basically saying this, unconditionally love them. I don't care how bad, how dark, how painful, whatever, whatever, get past it. Love them, comfort them, and forgive them, the person who's caused us pain. In fact, go on, if you look down at verse 10, and you notice the number of times he uses the word "give," forgive in this passage. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, that I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything that has been for your sake, in the presence of Christ. Forgive, forgiven, forgive, forgiven, forgiven. Now, how in the world do we do this? How in the world is it that that I'm going to be able to ever comfort the person who's inflicted pain on me, uh, to embrace them in love, in some manner of love? How is it that I'm going to ever be able to get to the point that I forgive them? Now, I'm just telling you, these are the questions I'm asking in my own personal time with God. Max Licato says it like this. He says, the state of of your heart dictates whether you harbor a grudge or you give grace. You seek self-pity or seek Christ. Drink human misery or taste God's mercy. Grace and mercy. The only difference between whether that person is going to experience justice and revenge and vengeance and me even the score or that person receiving grace and mercy will be the condition of my own heart. Why is this so important? We go full circle with a series of messages that we just ended called Stuck. One of the greatest dangers of not dealing with the areas of stuckness in our life is that it creates an opportunity for Satan what to move into the gap, to move into the space, to make himself at home in that space and time. And so let us not skip over verse 11 of chapter two. It says this: "So that purpose clause, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan." See, the reality is is that when I have been inflicted pain on a relationship, when I have been hurt, when I have been betrayed, when I have, I have, and I have, and I have this pain from this person over there it is inflicted on me, then what am I going to do with that pain? Am I going to wallow in it? Am I going to even the score? Am I going to one-up them? What, what am I going to do with it? And the reality is that if I'm not careful, I am going to allow Satan in the midst of the pain To get a hand in my life. To take advantage of my life. To outwit me and to overcome me. The Holman Christian Standard Bible says it like that. The taking advantage of by Satan. If I do not learn how to forgive and comfort and love unconditionally. Mike, this this is far from our culture. This is far from the norm. And I get that. And I understand that. It's also... Something that we as followers of Christ must look into the eyes and the, and, and the body and the suffering of Christ on the cross and see this. Because when you go to Luke chapter 23, if you'll turn in your Bibles there, we're going to find Christ on the cross. In fact, for the rest of the next six weeks, we're going to look at Christ on the cross. We're going to look at two of the seven statements today that He made on the cross. We're going to narrow the life of Christ down to the final six hours of his breathing in ministry on the earth, before his death, burial and resurrection, the final six hours, the most vulnerable time, when he is the weakest, whenever he is literally gasping for air, we find him whispering out, uttering out little simple statements, but yet statements that almost as if if you're breathing your last breath, and I've been with a number of people just in my role as a pastor, who have breathed their last breath, and you hang on those words. As Christ is breathing His last breath, what did He say in those final six hours when He is literally hanging on the cross, bleeding to death, dying to death, suffocating, drowning in His own blood? And I don't mean to be too grotesque, but yes, that's what the crucifixion was. The crucifixion was legal. Since the 6th century BC, it was, a, it was allowed, it was an acceptable form of corporal, uh, capital punishment and you could kill people that way. And the, the Romans uh, perfected it, by the way. There was no accidental death. They intentionally went in to kill people and they knew how to kill people. It stayed as a legal form of execution until 300 when Constantine outlawed it. So Jesus was born, lived, died in the midst of the executionary measure of crucifixion and they did it and they did it well and they did it painfully they made sure you suffered the maximum amount of pain in the midst of your death it was not in our form of corporal uh, uh, capital punishment where we where we give somebody a lethal injection and maybe they feel it or maybe they don't feel it this was something that was intended to inflict pain and when we look at Luke chapter chapter 23 today we are looking at the very end of Christ's life as he is after his crucifixion, after the kangaroo court—excuse me, after the, uh, the the kangaroo court, after his beatings and lashings, after after the mocking, after the putting of the crown of thorns—and now he's hanging on the cross. And we see the first two statements. Luke records three of the seven statements. We're going to look at two of them today. They're back to back. They're in sequence, and they fit together in a way. That we can see how do we deal with people who inflict pain? Because if anybody was having pain inflicted upon them, it was Christ in this moment. How do we deal with it? How do we deal with it? And then what can we do to appreciate our Savior like never before? Hopefully, what we'll see in this is a deeper understanding of this these two words, mercy and grace. What do these words mean? What do they have for you and I today? Let's look at this passage, Luke chapter 22, and begin uh, following along as as I begin reading here in verse 32. Two others were criminals. I'm jumping right in the middle of the scene here. You can see that. There were criminals that were crucified on the right and the left of Christ, and they were put to death death with Him, and when they came to the place called the skull, the skulls uh, is uh, in latin it means calvary is where we get the word calvary from calvaria is is the latin version of the skull and so this is a place of death this was known as a place of death there they crucified him as, and the criminals one on the right and one on the left and jesus said this is the first statement he makes father forgive them for they do not know what they do And they cast lots for his garments, basically stripping him naked. Now listen, friends, when I say naked, I mean every bit of his birthday suit was there. I mean, there was no garments left on him. That's how inhumane it was. That's how humiliating it was. That's what our Savior went through. This is no PG-13 movie going on here. This is definitely rated R all the way. They stood by watching and the rulers scoffed at him. They said, "Save others." He said, "He saved others. Let him save himself." The Christ, the God, His chosen one. The soldiers mocked him. The rulers mocked him. The soldiers mocked him. Verse thirty-seven: If the king, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also the inscription that was written above him, above his head: "This is the King of the Jews." So they're mocking him every way they can. The rulers are mocking him. The the guards are mocking him. The soldiers are mocking him. And even the criminal hanging on the cross next to him, one of them is mocking him. Verse 39, And one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. So here's this darkest, most inhumane moment that Christ goes through. And he is experiencing this pain inflicted by people on him. But let's keep reading. But the other rebuked him. The other criminal on the cross was rebuking the other criminal on the cross. We don't know their names. Do do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation. And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward for our deeds. But this man, He's done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, the second statement of Jesus, you will be with me in paradise. I want us to answer the question, what does that person in our life that's caused us pain, what do they need? They need exactly what you and I need when it comes to being in a relationship, being on this earth, trying to connect with God. We need what we need to give. We need it from God, and God gives it to us in His Son, Christ. The first is the gift of mercy. Now, we've talked about this in past weeks, and so I want to just refresh this. The gift of mercy. Basically, mercy is not getting what you deserve. Now, who are the characters at the cross here? You have Roman soldiers. You have Roman soldiers mocking him, stripping him, sticking sour wine up to his mouth to drink, stabbing him with a spear. These are the Roman soldiers who who face death every day. They were hardened people. And what was Christ's statement to them? What was Christ saying? He said, they don't know what they're doing. God forgive them. He is speaking words that... That does not that, that even make sense to me because what I'm thinking is, God, strike these Roman soldiers dead. God, give them a piece of what they're giving to me. God, even the score here. God, this is humiliating. This is painful. I think there's two things that when you break apart that first statement of Jesus that help me kind of embrace what mercy looks like and feels like or maybe helps me live it out a little bit. One is if I just understand the ignorance behind it all. I understand the ignorance behind our sin. That I embrace the ignorance of the offenders. Notice what Jesus said. He said, they don't know what they do. They don't know what they're doing. That's the first thing that if you want to gain gain a perspective is is the embrace the ignorance. There's a lot of ignorance in this world. Now, I'm not talking about uneducated. Uneducated is when you don't know what you don't know. Or excuse me, when you don't know something, all right? Ignorance is when you don't know what you don't know, all right? And these people were acting in ignorance. These people were crucifying him. Listen, let's let's bring it here to you and me today. How many of y'all have said this before? Felt this before? Had I known my words were inflicting so many wounds on my own children, I would have never said what I said to them. I would have never lost my temper. Had I known that my looks of lust and attraction to that other person, had I known that if it had cost me my marriage, had I known, I wouldn't have done it. How many of you all have known a people or been that person who's maybe lost their job because of some ethical something? Maybe Had you known, had you not fudged a little bit on your expense reports and and cheated the company out of a a few dollars that maybe maybe then you'd still have a job had you known what, what were you living you were living in ignorance willfully choosing to ignore reality listen they were living in ignorance and ignorance listen to this doesn't equal innocence they were living in ignorance These soldiers were crucifying Him, mocking Him, making uh, uh, humiliating remarks against Him. In fact, even Peter brings that up to them again in Acts chapter 3, verse 17, when he says, I know that you acted in ignorance. They crucified Christ in ignorance. What if we was learned to see the person who's inflicted pain on us what if we learn to see them in a different set of eyes they did what they did in ignorance they hurt me they betrayed me in ignorance they broke trust in ignorance does it excuse it does it no ignorance is, does not equal innocence there's still a level of accountability but when you look at christ what does he say when he's looking at these roman soldiers Ripping apart his clothes and gambling over them. He looks at them and he says, they don't know what they're doing. They're living in ignorance. What if we could rewrite the story of the people who've hurt us, that person in the image of our mind? Lewis Smead says it like this, when you forgive someone, you slice away, listen to these words, slice away the wrong from the person who did it. You disengage that person from the hurtful act. You recreate him. At one moment, you identify him as irredactibly as the person who did you wrong. You do that at one moment. The next moment, you change that identity. He is made in memory. You you think of him now not as the person who hurt you but as the person, listen to this, Who needs you? You feel him now not as the person who alienated you, but as the person who belongs to you. Once you branded him as a person powerful in evil, but now you see him as a person weak in his needs. You recreated your past by recreating the person whose wrong made your past painful. If I could learn to look at my abusers, my neglectors, my people who break my trust, and I look at them through a different set of lenses, not as you hurt me, you wronged me, you did this to me, but merely as you have been acting in ignorance. You have been acting as a lost individual. You are hurting and you are broken. What we're doing is we're switching the tables now. Instead of it all be about me and all my pain, I'm now looking at them and I'm saying, where are they hurting? They say, Mike, Mike, you know, you, you're missing it. You don't know the level of pain I've gone through. I get it. I totally get it. But neither do we understand the level of pain that Christ went through. And yet He could say from the cross, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. An immigrant rabbi from Germany moving to America after the Holocaust made this statement. He said, before coming to America, I had to forgive Adolf Hitler. He said, I didn't want to bring Hitler with me to my new country. And I will say this before you can truly, truly, truly move on. You're going to have to wrestle with this concept of forgiveness, of mercy. Mercy of somebody not getting what they deserve. Those Roman soldiers, those Jewish rulers, they deserved punishment from from on high. But what Jesus spoke over them was they don't know what they're doing. They're ignorant. They're lost in their sins. The second is forgiving someone. Forgiveness is actually the power play. I know whenever you're hurt, you look for the power play. You you want the power play. Here's the power play. Forgive them. Now notice it's not going to be easy. Notice that Jesus cries out to the Father. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He starts His ministry in prayer. You can read that. You can read that over... In the Gospels, in Luke chapter 3, verse 21, he ends his ministry in prayer. You see that here. And then now, what is he doing in heaven? He is still praying for us. And you find that in Hebrews 7, 25, that he always lives to intercede for us. Jesus is a person of prayer. He is constantly interceding. In this moment when he is on the cross, when he is being beaten and betrayed, when he is being abused and humiliated, what is he doing? He is in the process of forgiving. Now listen up. Look up here really carefully. Because I know some of you, what I'm talking about here, there's a repulsion inside of your spirit right now. You say, there's no way. Not until that person says they're sorry. When they say they're sorry, I'll think about it. We have been teaching our kids that for years. Say you're sorry. Now, say it's okay. What does Jesus do? He reverses it. He forgives them. He makes forgiveness possible while they're still mocking and gambling for His clothes. While they're still abusing Him. I want you to notice this, that Jesus forgave them. Not just on His own in a blanket statement like He did so many other times. He had the power to do that. He's God. He does it in Luke 7.48 when He says your sins are forgiven. He does it in Matthew 9.2 when He talks about you know your sins are gone. He's, he's, he's willing to, he's able to forgive sins. But notice this time, he doesn't do that. He forgives them through the Father. The offenses are coming directly at him, personally, directly at him. And what does he do? He goes to the Father. The offenders are down here at the cross. The offenders are mocking him. They're right in front of him. Why didn't Jesus look down and say, hey, you know what, guys, you're stupid, you're idiot, but hey, I'm going to forgive you anyway. didn't do that. The reality is is that when it's you and the offender, just you and the offender, you don't want to forgive. It's really hard to forgive. But real forgiveness, true forgiveness, is not actually just you and the offender. It's you seeing the offender through God. When you learn to see this offender in your life, through a different set of lenses, just as God did, He could have gone straight to the people, but He didn't. He goes through the Father, through the people. God forgive them; they don't know what they're doing. Your level of forgiveness, your ability to forgive, is a matter of your relationship with God. It's a whole, it's a vertical relationship. You being willing to forgive the Holy, because you say these people aren't even sorry for their sins. That's right. <laughs> Get ready. Some of your offenders are still offending. Some of your neglectors are still neglecting. Some of your abusers are sadly still abusing. But forgiveness is between you and God. See, and we, and we, can't, we can't mix those two up. Because forgiveness happens between us and God. Forgiveness comes through mercy and grace. Reconciliation comes through repentance. Even whenever Stephen was being stoned, and I don't have time to read the passage, so I'm going to tell it to you and let you write it, write it down and read it when you get home. Acts chapter 7, verse 58-60. to 60, You'll find when Stephen was being stoned, the people were picking up stones and belting him. He looks up to heaven, and he says, God, don't hold this against them. Why didn't he look at his stoners? I'm not talking about this kind of stoner. I'm talking about these with stoners, okay? Why didn't he look straight at his stoners and say, Father, forgive them. Or, God, you're forgiven. Go on. No, he didn't. They weren't repentant. They were not sorry for their acts. See, a matter of forgiveness is me being willing to talk with God and reconcile it between God and I, even if the offender never sees it, never changes, never repents, never feels remorse. I had a friend of mine in a trusted relationship. We were, we were, we were, we were hanging out, we were sharing, we were Bible says, we were traveling together, we were good friends. I was in accountability with relationship with him, he was with me, and we were. It was a very mutual thing and it was a good thing for about a year, year and a half. And I was in a very low moment at time. And I shared with him my low moments. And when you're in those low moments, you share your emotions, you share your thoughts, you share your feelings. And this is what I felt, this is what I thought about this situation over here. This person took what I shared and decided that's good gossip. And decided to share. Do you realize what Pastor Mike said? Do you know what Pastor Mike feels? And listen, I already know I live in a glass house. And you know what? And I already know, but listen, I'm still a stinking human being with clay feet. And I still have the feelings and emotions and the ups and the downs that you go through. Everyone goes through. Okay? And I was just I was just emoting. I was just sharing. It was not it was it was supposed to be A safe place. It became an unsafe place. I was livid. Needless to say, we weren't hanging out any longer. Needless to say, I went on my way, but I didn't go on my way freely and and I didn't go on my way without some deep-seated anger inside of me. I didn't want to hang out with that guy. I wanted to punch him out. But what was I going to do? Well, uh, what was I going to do? Learn my lessons? Shut up? No, don't tell anybody how, what I'm going through? What am I going to do? What would I like to do to this guy? Well, I'd like to throw out his dirty laundry that he shared with me, but I'm not going to do it. For six months, I wrestled with that. Thought I'll never open up. I'll never share again. I, I was, I'd been burnt. Until I realized how much it was eating away at me. And This, this guy wasn't even in my life anymore. So what am I going to do? I had to, I had to forgive him. He didn't see the wrong. I had to forgive him. He didn't say he was sorry. I had to forgive him. I had to move on. Did he deserve it? No, but mercy says they don't get what they deserve. What do you do? The only reason I'm sharing this to you is because I didn't know how I was going to feel the next time I ran into him. It was so bad that I didn't even want to go on his side of town for fear that my car would pass his car, I'd see him, we'd talk, I'd want to fight, I don't know what. (laughs) And I ran into him at Starbucks one day, one of my frequent places to go. And I ran into him, and I could have did the pretend, oh, I don't see him, he doesn't see me, we're just going to order my coffee and go. But I didn't. Because there was a freedom in my heart. Because I had forgiven. So I not only see him, I go up to him. I get his attention. I embrace him and hug him. And, and I'm telling you this, it was, by, it was by Almighty God that I was able to do this. I embraced him. I sat down with him. I want to know, how are you doing? How's your family? How are your kids? What's going on in your life? Now, are we best buds again? You know, BFFs? No, we're not. Because there's never been repentance. There's never been, I was wrong. But I'll tell you this, there's been forgiveness. I've been able to set Him free. And in setting Him free, I found out that I am free. Did He deserve it? No. None of us deserve. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's mercy. Number two, the gift of grace. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. If if mercy is not getting what you deserve, the soldiers, they deserve to to be mopped up. They didn't get that. God forgave them. He made forgiveness possible. But grace is when you get what you don't deserve. So that you know the thief and... On the cross, there was one thief that mocked him. There was another thief, and I pointed that out. We'll not read the passage again, but the other, the, uh, the other thief said, Hey, hey sh- shut your face. Shut your pie hole. You know, we're up here because we deserve to be up here. He's innocent. He needs to be set free. We're the ones who need to be here. We're the ones who are guilty. And then he turns to Jesus and he says this. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. This is a thief on the cross. He wasn't baptized. He had lived a raucous life. He, he had done Whatever he had done, it had been enough to justify his death. He knew he was guilty. There was remorse. But he also knew the source of reconciliation with God. And so he, he said, Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you enter into your paradise. And the second statement that Jesus made was today you will be with me in paradise. You know, this world, we like to think of this world having karma. Hinduism teaches you that karma exists out there. You don't want karma. Karma says you get what you deserve. I promise you, you don't. Now, you want your enemies to get what they deserve. You want karma to be on them. But you don't want karma. Because you really don't want what you deserve. We don't realize how much mercy and grace we live under. Because grace says this. Christianity teaches grace and mercy that you get better than you deserve. Hinduism teaches you get what you deserve. Christianity teaches grace and mercy. You get better than you deserve. First of all, you don't get what you deserve. And and then, then you get more than you deserve. You get heaven. You get paradise. You get a freedom in your soul whenever you experience forgiveness and when you give forgiveness. I want to close by telling you this story, or telling you kind of some recent events. So the deacons and I, we meet on a, on a bi-weekly basis and we have always, we're reading through a book together, we're praying together, we're dealing with the business of the church together. It's kind of that kind of relationship and, and we have a great time and, and sometimes when the business of the church slows down, we're able to really spend a little bit more time in a book. And so every year we're reading through a book and a book that we're reading through right now is a book that I've recommended so many people to get and to read. It's a book called Disguised by Grace. This book is has been really big in my own life in my own hurts and pains and that i 've gone through, and i 've helped a lot of people it's, I imagine it 's helped a lot but you've got to understand the story behind it. So Jerry Sitzer is the author of this, and it 's a soul wrenching but yet at the same time inspiring story of when Jerry was uh, living in Spokane, Washington I believe he 's a professor at a university or college or something like that and and his mother Grace, comes to visit them and whenever they uh their their two oldest children are studying Native American history and over in Idaho, just a neighboring state, they, they find out there's a powwow that they can go to. So Grace is there and Linda, his wife of nearly twenty years, and their four children age age ranging from eight to four years of age. The youngest one being uh being uh I, I can't remember her name now, Diane Grace or something like that. And they go on a trip, on a road trip over to this powwow. And when they get to the powwow, they experience that experience, that Native American culture. At 8.15, he recalls that the kids were restless and it was time to go home. So they loaded back in their minivan and they all started their track back home. No more than 15 minutes down the road. An approaching car at 85 miles an hour misjudges a curve. A drunk driver is driving it. And and misjudges a curb and comes across the center lane and hits them at 85 miles an hour. Immediately, their they're hour, I'm mean, assuming, they're miles away from the closest hospital. They're miles away from doctors and first responders. Mother, Grace, passes away. Wife, Linda, of 20 years, passes away. And their youngest daughter of four years passes away. In a matter of seconds, three generations were gone. Jerry is sitting there and putting all of this back together. This entire book is all about his journey in healing and restoration and loss and mourning and what what God does through this process. This past week, the deacons and I, we've read through chapter 10. Chapter 10 dealt with forgiveness. In that chapter, he talks about the trial of this, of this drunk driver. Eight months go before the thing ever goes to trial, before they ever put justice to, to, the, to the test, if you will. But in the matter of that eight months, through incompetent, and he says in his own words, incompetent investigations and sloppy crime scene work, it was a mistrial, and the drunk driver walks away. Here's Jerry losing three generations in one swift second. Here's Jerry wanting justice on a man who's killed, manslaughter, three of his family members. And he said he goes into this bitter, poisonous journey, wanting revenge, wanting justice. He said, I would dream and think of... Hopefully seeing in the paper with this man has had another accident and he has died. I mean he he talks about it. He says and over a period of time he realized that what he was doing is his soul, in his own words, was being poisoned by his own anger and his own bitterness. And he made this statement forgiveness is costly. Forgiving people Forgiving people must give up the right to get even. Forgiving people give up the right to punish and instead wish the wrongdoer well. Jesus Christ is being crucified and what are the words out of His mouth? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Today, you will be with me in paradise. We see mercy and grace, we see forgiveness in a powerful, beautiful way. Here's the here's the reality about forgiveness: it is never earned. At the very root of the word forgiveness is give. Are you willing to, even though your offender may still be offending, and even though your abuser may still be abusing, and even though your neglector may still be neglecting, are you willing? To forgive. I didn't say reconcile. That requires repentance, remorse. That requires conversations and healing. I said forgive. Because even though Jesus was being abused, even though Jesus was being hurt, He was willing to forgive. He gave mercy and grace in one instance. You've got that person on your mind still? I want us to realize this. As Rick Warren said in his book, purpose-driven life, he said, you will never be asked to forgive someone else more than God has already forgiven you. Would you bow your heads with me as the band comes back and as we take a moment to think on the cross and to think on our own pains. Because here is the tragedy of this moment. It's for us to sit here and talk about the pains inflicted on us. <clears throat> hurts and abuses that have been inflicted on us. And us not stop, pause, and reflect long enough about our own pains that we've inflicted on others, but more importantly, that we've inflicted on God. If you're here today and you have never experienced the grace and the mercy of God, I don't see how you live another day of your life. If you don't if you've never experienced in a relationship kind of way forgiveness through Christ, I don't see how you live. Maybe here today you'll just you'll just acknowledge in prayer right where you're sitting right now and just say God of the cross, Jesus, I want that forgiveness. I want that grace. I want that mercy. Would you please give it to me? For some of you in this room, you've experienced that grace. You've experienced that love, that forgiveness. Man, you are holding on to some deep pain. And you want to receive it, but you don't want to give it. And maybe your prayer today is this, God, Father, Jesus, forgive, fill in the blank. They didn't know what they were doing. They didn't know what they were doing. They did what they did. Forgive them. And help them to know you, God. Help them to experience you, Lord. Help them to be the thief on the cross who cries out, that they have done injustice and they are crying out for grace. They're crying out for paradise. They're crying out for love. They're, cry, they're crying out for you, Jesus, to remember them. Maybe pray for someone that has hurt you. Pray for another person that maybe you've hurt. Or Jesus, May we see the cross today not as a bit of decoration. May we see the cross as the real path to freedom so that Satan doesn't get an upper hand in our life just as You forgave us. So help us to forgive others. Just as You embraced and accepted others, may we accept those who, Lord, have hurt us, that are different than us, Lord, this is, this is our time to see the cross. Lord, help us to see it now like never before. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand at this time? Would you worship with us at this time as the band leads us?